This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. So excited today to connect with Daryl Bosshart, who is passionate about healthy living healthy eating, and lifelong learning. He grew up working for the family mineral business in Redmond, Utah, and then earned a bachelor of science degree at the Southern Utah University, followed by an MBA at Western Governors University. And you oversee one of my favorite salt companies, Redmond's. Welcome. It's so nice to have you today. Cynthia, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I saw you do a TED Talk a while ago, and I just kind of fell in love with the message, and I've been looking forward to connecting. Awesome. Well, you know, you reside in one of my favorite states in the United States. I was actually telling my kids as soon as we can kind of get beyond the pandemic, they enjoy skiing and snowboarding. And I said, you know, there's no more beautiful place than Utah, which I kind of fell in love with. I was out there twice on business pre-COVID. haven't been back, but definitely intend to return. So let's talk a little bit. You know, you mentioned this family mineral business, but it's so much more than that. Can you share with the listeners how you, you know, became interested? Obviously, it's something that you were exposed to, you know, growing up, but how your family became so interested in salt. Yeah. So, you know, when people think of Utah and salt, a lot of people think of the Great Salt Lake. That's kind of what comes to mind. And there is a great big salt lake here in Utah called the Great Salt Lake. That's the remnants of a an ancient sea, well, an, an old seabed called the Bonneville Sea. And there's these Bonneville salt flats around Salt Lake. So as you fly in, you see this big body of salt water and some uh, saline ponds. They do a lot of salt extraction there. So when people think of salt in Utah, that's what they think of. But most people don't realize that two hours south of there, there's an ancient seabed. So salt today, when I say salt in this podcast, we're talking about salt for food, which is sodium and chloride based, can come from either a current ocean like the San Francisco Bay, the Gulf of Mexico, the Sea of Japan, the Mediterranean. It can come from a dead sea, like the Dead Sea in Israel or the Dead Sea here in Utah called the Great Salt Lake. Or it can come from an ancient seabed, a seabed that was laid down eons ago that was then trapped within the earth and has then been pushed back up. So the Himalayan salt deposit that people are familiar with, kind of that crystally pink salt. There's a similar salt in Bolivia. It has that similar pink salt. And then here in Utah, we have another ancient sea salt. Geologists say it's part of the Sundance Sea. And this piece, if you can see it, it looks a lot more white than it actually Mm -hmm. is. It's actually a more of a rosy pink color. But this is an ancient seabed that was laid down eons ago and then was pushed back up. Geologists date that into the Jurassic era. And so my family just happened to have a farm in central Utah And in the 1950s, there was a bad drought and my grandpa and his brother needed something to do to feed the kids because the farm wasn't doing too well. The alfalfa fields and the the barley wasn't doing too well. So they knew there was salt under their farm because there was an outcropping under the farm that the Native Americans had actually harvested before the early, you know, Western pioneers had come through the valley. So they knew there was salt under their farm. And when the farm wasn't doing that well, they got a, a loan and and a bulldozer and plowed the alfalfa and the corn out of the way and hit the salt deposit, started selling it to local farmers for cows. And the cows seemed to love it. In fact, the cows would eat this ancient mineral salt and the dirt it was sitting on before they would eat the processed white blocks that they were getting at the feed store. And so the locals and the family, you know, would use it for food salt. 
But it wasn't until the 1970s when the health food movement here in the U.S. really started to pick up that a nutritionist came through and got a tour of the salt mine because it was something neat to see as he was coming through the area. And then he went back and wrote an article about the tastiest, healthiest salt was this ancient sea salt from Utah. So we started getting calls from around the country wanting this salt for their health food stores. And we sat around and said, well, we need a name for it. It's just, it's salt from Redmond. So we call it Redmond salt, but it's not processed salt. It's not half salt. It's not fake mm -hmm. salt. It's, it's just real salt. And so as dumb as the name sounded at the time, that's what we called it was Redmond real salt and the name stuck. And so now you can find you know, the Redmond Real Salt from this ancient seabed and most health food stores are online. So that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of how we got into the salt business. Well, and I think, you know, salt has unfortunately gotten a bad rap. And I know, certainly I trained in the 1990s and, you know, it was all about working in cardiology. It's all about low salt, no salt. You're wondering why these poor patients don't like their food and they're gravitating towards processed food, which is an entirely different kind of salt, highly processed type of salt that doesn't derive the same health benefits as the type of salt that you're talking about. And so let's kind of unpack the benefits of salt because, you know, something that I've been very vocal about is that intermittent fasting and electrolytes go together like peanut butter and jelly. And that's probably a bad analogy, but you know, they really are synonymous. If you want to be successful with intermittent fasting, you really have to replace the electrolytes, salt being one of them. And you have to be very dedicated about it. And, and it isn't necessarily that you have to drink electrolyte water. And I think people start thinking of like Gatorade and I have to remind them that's garbage, but it's really a properly salting our foods with real, you know, food sources of salt and then having electrolytes as well. So let's unpack why salt is not bad for us, because, you know, this has been much like the fat bastardization. I feel like salt has really gotten a bad rap. And in fact, I grew up with an Italian mom. She's a wonderful cook. And my mother would salt nothing because she had been taught as a nurse that salt is bad. And one of the things that I remind my children is that one thing that we're really diligent about in our house is salting our food because everything tastes better. You can add salt to just about anything, I even do when people are new to intermittent fasting and they don't like black coffee, I'm like, put some salt in your coffee. It'll change the flavor profile. It won't be so bitter. And so it's, it's amazing that it has so much flexibility in terms of flavor profiles, but let's touch on the benefits of salt. So the people understand the context with which we're coming from. I love how you say it's become this like almost like a bastardized idea mm -hmm. because salt historically has been essential for life and it still mm -hmm. is. So if we go back to ancient civilizations, every civilization started around access to the salt deposits because our bodies are saline solution in motion. And so without salt, we die. In fact, the outside of a spiritual discussion, the only difference between you and I visiting one moment here and then being dead the next moment outside of a spiritual discussion is the absence of an electric current. Mm -hmm. And so the electricity from our mind tells our hand to move. And so electricity is such an essential part and distilled water is a poor conductor of electricity. So our bodies absolutely have to have salt for this conduction to take place, which is why if we went to the hospital and we're sick or have a surgery or anything, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to hook us up to an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. Mm -hmm. It's not an IV of Coca-Cola or an IV of distilled water 
or an IV of coffee, which sounds good in theory some mornings. <laughs> but any of those things outside of simple saline, which is 0.9% mm-hmm. sodium chloride and water, or like a lactated ringers, which is an mm-hmm. IV for more surgery, things like that, that come with sodium chloride, but also contain calcium chloride, potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, these other complex chlorides that are essential for the body to function. And so because it was so essential, all of the spice trading, all of the civilization started around access to the salt deposits. It was written about in every religious text. It was actually used as a payment system in the times of Rome, which was why it was called a salary based on salt. And the saying, is a man worth his salt, was because if you were paid in salt and you weren't working hard enough to earn your keep, therefore you weren't worth your salt. So salt has always been essential for life. But yet if you, as you pointed out, if you walked into a class in any university or dietitian school or even a high school group or even middle schoolers, Mm -hmm. and you say, who has heard that salt's bad for you? And almost everybody will raise their hand. And so we need to look at the type of salt, Mm -hmm. the ratios of salt, and what the food is that the salt is on. Now, there was a study years ago that kind of pointed this finger at salt being bad. But if we were to go back before the invention of the refrigerator, all of us would have eaten more salt because we would have had kimchi and pickles and sauerkrauts all preserved in salt. All of the meat that we might have consumed outside of season would have been preserved in salt. But around the turn of the century, the nature of salt changed. And so that's one of the key factors. And we'll talk about that. And then the other factor is because salt is a great preservative, it's used in a lot of foods that are terrible for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if we're eating terrible, low nutrient foods, high in you know, refined carbohydrates and nitrates, and then we put a bunch of salt on it, we've got this, this terrible one-two punch for health. You know, when we craving, we might think we're craving French fries or potato chips, but we're not. We're actually craving good, clean salt. And sometimes even sugar. We might think we're craving sugar, but if you take a salt crystal, you mentioned mm-hmm. your son, you know, cooking with <laughs> kosher salt before. And if you take a little kosher crystal, mm-hmm. And you suck on it. It's actually most of the time you'll find it sweet because mm-hmm. our bodies need it. When it does taste extra salty, then you know we might need to to get more water or, or cut back. But generally speaking, our bodies crave and need salt. I completely agree with you. And I have to laugh. In my past life, I was an ER nurse, so I used a lot of those IV preparations, lactated ringers, different concentrations of salt water, essentially, depending on the patient and then in cardiology. And so I got very, very savvy about recognizing how every single cell in our bodies has an action potential and every single cell, if the balance between, for example, sodium and potassium, magnesium and chloride, if those balances are off, it impacts us on kind of a catastrophic level, potentially. It goes from something as benign as dehydration, but could go to organ system failure. And what was interesting as I was recently reading that in the conventional Western medicine, kind of allopathic medical model, you know, tells everyone the reason why you have high blood pressure is because you have a salt problem. Well, I was actually reading something recently that was suggesting that most people that have hypertension or high blood pressure, it's actually that they don't have enough high quality salt in their diets. And so for people that are listening, and this is kind of blowing your mind, I want you to be open-minded because it's really, really critically important because the iodized salt that's in processed foods, you know, the processed food industry is proliferative 
We're seeing escalating rates of obesity and diabetes and other metabolic syndromes. Just be open-minded to the fact that if we're eating more nutrient-dense foods, like a piece of meat and some vegetables, and you sprinkle salt on those, that is very, very different than the salt that you get that is kind of a bastardized form of salt, very processed that we're referring to that's in these processed foods. And so when we talk about different types of salt, let's also kind of explain how sea salt is different chemically from the iodized salt that is in processed foods. Because I think that's an important distinction for people to be able to be open-minded and, you know, really hear what we're, the message that you're trying to share. You know, that's a great point. And so when we look at salt, one of the unique things about salt is it's hygroscopic. Hygroscopic means it absorbs moisture. And so if I have a salt crystal like this one, and I sit it out on my kitchen table in Florida, for instance, at the end of the day, I'll have a pool of water under that salt crystal because it's literally sucking water out of the air. Now, when it comes to the body, one of the key functions of electrolytes, sodium, potassium are the mm-hmm. primary ones, but magnesium and calcium play a role too, is balancing the intercellular and extracellular fluids because of the way the salt attracts moisture. That's its job. Well, Around the turn of the century, not only did we start changing the way we produce salt, but we started adding some chemicals to salt that changed the way the salt functions. And so if we look at those two things, in seawater, salt occurs as a complex chloride. In the oceans, we have potassium chloride, calcium chloride, magnesium chloride, trace amounts of iodine and and all kinds of minerals that are in the oceans. The way salt has been produced historically was either from an ancient seabed like the Himalayan or the Bolivian or the salt here in Utah, or you can get it from a current ocean. To do that, salt water, the the ocean occurs between two and 3% sodium and chloride. Our bodies are about 0.9. So when we swim in the ocean, it stings our eyes because it's two to three times saltier than what our bodies are used to. If you get an IV of 0.9 or you rinse your eyes or your nasal cavity with 0.9, there's no sensation. It doesn't feel like anything. And you get an IV and there's no, now if you get an IV of potassium chloride, it'll, it'll burn. Mm -hmm. And if you rinse your eyes with distilled water, it will actually dry them out and burn because our bodies are saline solution. Mm -hmm. And so in salt production, you can take the seawater and it comes into a pond and you line that pond with either a membrane, a plastic liner, or you can line the pond with clay, which swells and doesn't let the water seep into the ground. So the water comes in at about 3%, then the sun evaporates that Mm -hmm. off to four to five. At 26%, that salt is what we call max salinity. It can't hold any more water or salt. So the salt starts to fall out of suspension onto the bottom of the pond. And eventually you're left with salt crystals. When you do that, you get not only all of the minerals that occur with the seawater, but then when you rake that up, you also get some of those mineral clays, which gives like the Celtic or the French gray salt, that lovely gray color. In Hawaii, they use the same process, but it's a red clay. So the Hawaiian red salt is pretty and it, and it has all those minerals intact. Well, sea comp- or salt companies realized that they could take a different membrane and line that pond with a different membrane that forces the precipitation out of the other electrolytes. So in the Great Salt Lake here, they can bring the salt water off, pull out the magnesium, we find that to metal magnesium, they can move it to the next pond, pull out the potassium, move it to the next pond, and then you've got the sodium chloride you can sell for salt. The challenge is our bodies, because of the sodium potassium pump and a lot of other uh, biochemical processes, we need those other electrolytes. And you can get them from other places, but it's always been part of the seawater. Well, one of the challenges with a lot of commercial salt today is they've pulled out some of those other complex chlorides. 
That's the first challenge. The second challenge that I think is actually probably a, a bigger factor is this hygroscopic nature of salt. So salt, it draws water out of the air. So if you have a salt shaker on a humid day, the salt in the shaker starts to clump. Now, people have used rice or different things over the years to put with their salt to help displace the moisture so the salt particles don't clump. Well, a salt company came up with a list of chemicals. They said, what can we do to treat the salt to make the salt stop clumping? And there was dozens of chemicals that you can add to salt to coat the salt crystal to stop the salt crystal from absorbing moisture. Things like sodium silico aluminate. You've got things like yellow prussiate of soda, which is sodium ferrous cyanide. You've got tricalcium phosphate. There's a, a whole slew of chemicals that we can add to the salt to stop the salt's ability to retain moisture, which that's a problem because salt's job is to interact with moisture. And so if we take this salt crystal that's supposed to help our bodies balance moisture and stop and actually you know, stop water retention and help the cells intercellular fluid and extracellular fluid balance, and then we coat that with a bunch of chemicals, it's no wonder why salt can cause a challenge. So you demineralize the salt, you chemicalize the salt, and then you put it on cheap, poor, highly processed foods that we eat way too much of anyway. And then, yeah, you have a problem. But if you go to a natural diet and you're eating a lot of fresh greens, you're eating a lot of clean meats without a lot of these processed on, then most people actually have to go out of their way to add good, healthy salt to their diet. And in fact, once somebody switches to a low salt diet, one of the first things that goes, and you kind of highlighted this earlier, was digestion. Their food doesn't taste good, but our bodies need hydrochloric acid to digest our food. And you get the hydrochloric acid is CL, hydrogen and chloride. The hydrogen comes from water, but the chloride comes from salt. So if you quit eating sodium and chloride, not only does the sodium deficiency cause problems like hyponatremia, but then the low chloride content just makes digestion go to pot. So those are the kind of the big three issues that I see with a lot of salts and a lot of food with crappy salt on it in our market today. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to try 
armra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today risk free. They have a 365 day full money back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Well, it's absolutely fascinating. And I love that you touched on the role of hydrochloric acid. So this is, you know, it's not scary like chemistry class. We think back to high school, college or graduate school, Hydrochloric acid is a first line of defense in the body. And if you're not making enough hydrochloric acid, that can be problematic, not only for breaking down protein, but also, again, it's a first line of defense. So if you ingest a parasite or you ingest a bacteria that doesn't belong in your body, you're missing out on an opportunity for your body to, you know, kill off a bacteria or a microorganism that doesn't belong. And, and if anyone that believes that parasites aren't common, you obviously need to come, you know, work with me for a while. Cause I seem to see them every single week on some of the labs that I do with patients. Now you kind of touched on this, that salt can look different depending on where it is harvested from. So does that also, is it because of the micronutrient profile or is it more related to, you mentioned Hawaii can have this reddish hue and then you can have pinker hues and Himalayan salt, but do these, you know, these differences, these kind of visual differences have any difference in terms of benefits that are conferred? Like, is there a difference in terms of benefits from red salt, pink salt, black salts, just so that we understand that's totally out of curiosity. But as you're saying this, I'm starting to wonder, is there benefit from purchasing salt that come from different parts of the world? Great question. So salt in the U.S. for food salt, it's got to be at least 97% sodium and chloride. So you've only got about 3% of these other minerals you're talking about. And these minerals are in trace amounts. And so mm -hmm. you would never go to salt to get your magnesium for the day. You'd never go to salt to get your iodine for the day. Now, there is iodine in natural salts, and there's iodized salt. And we can talk about that in a little bit here. But mainly what you're looking at is the flavor profile, in my opinion. So you're looking for a natural clean salt. And there's 
three questions I think everybody should ask. And whether you end up with real salt or you end up with a Himalayan or you get a Hawaiian, I think there's good salts from around the world. And then we're talking about flavor and fun. So you, you mentioned your son who, who's an aspiring chef. So one of the things that one of my favorite salts besides the Redmond salt is a Bali salt. And it's actually these beautiful little pyramid shaped crystals. And for a salt caramel, that is fun. It, nutritionally, it's going to be about the same as the Redmond salt, but it's kind of fun to have that little pyramid shape. And if you're going to throw it in soup, you know, it's just going to disappear. And so I wouldn't spend it for that. But for a fun salt caramel or for a treat, there's some salts around the world. And the Hawaiian red salt has a bit of a dusty flavor. And so for some things that really brings out some flavor, there's also a black salt that has just a unique flavor and the gray salt. So it's fun to play with some of those subtle flavors. But as far as the nutrition and the health aspect, as long as you're getting a salt that doesn't have, that hasn't been processed, you know, it hasn't been demineralized and they haven't added any other chemicals to it other than the natural, either the natural clays that come from the mineral process or the natural color like the Himalayan or the Bolivian, I think you're getting a good product. It's really exciting because you recognize that, you know, at least in our home, we have quite a collection now of different types of salts and I think once you differentiate between like the typical iodized salt you buy in the grocery store, and then you start experimenting with some of these other types of salt, and it really wakes up your flavor palette. And, you know, for me, I put salt in almost everything, including my water. My kids think it's hilarious. I'm like, well, you know, if if I don't have the opportunity to grab an electrolyte mix that I'm going to dump in something when I go to the gym, even knowing that you can put some kosher salt in your water can be hugely beneficial. So, you know, when we're talking about you know, salt in terms of, you know, benefits and differences between processed versus unprocessed. What are your thoughts on salt substitutes? I'm embarrassed to admit that for many, many years in cardiology as a nurse practitioner, when I had patients with a history of high blood pressure, hypertension, we were always recommending salt substitutes. And I kind of cringe now when I think about this, but I didn't know any better, whereas now I do. So what are your thoughts on salt substitutes? Is there value in utilizing these products or... Anyway, I'm going to let you answer. I'm not going to answer for you. Well, you know, people that have heard salt's bad, you might assume that a salt substitute therefore is good. But if anybody has a salt substitute in their home and they grab the salt substitute and look on the back of it, it'll actually have a warning Mm -hmm. that says warning for normal, healthy people. And you should consult your general practitioner before use. Now, you'd never see that warning on a normal salt product. It's only on the salt substitutes. And the reason is because people have heard that sodium and chloride is bad or salt's bad. They'll look for a salt substitute, which is most of those are made by taking sodium and chloride and cutting half of it with potassium chloride. Mm -hmm. Now, they do that because, as we talked earlier, these other electrolytes are really important. Mm -hmm. And we do need potassium and magnesium because it does offset sodium in the sodium potassium pump. But a salt substitute is a really poor way to get potassium chloride. And as you know, potassium chloride IV is actually the final injection in a series of lethal injections because potassium chloride has to be used extremely carefully. I mean, there might be some cases maybe with an aneurysm or something that might use a potassium chloride very controlled, very short period as an IV because potassium chloride will stop the heart. And again, because we showed that sodium chloride is not bad then there's no reason to go with a sodium and, or a potassium chloride-based salt. One, it tastes terrible. Mm-hmm. And two, that's not the best way to get potassium. Now, probably everybody listening should go out of their way to eat foods that are rich in potassium and, mm-hmm. and especially magnesium because they're super essential in food form. But salt isn't, or a salt substitute is a poor way to get those 
potassium and, and magnesium that we should have in our diet. I have to agree. And I kind of cringe now when I think about how many of my patients I told them they needed to go take potassium chloride. And for anyone that's listening, potassium chloride orally is very, very safe. And we prescribe tons of it in cardiology because we had patients who were either low in potassium or they were on medications that forced them to use like diuretics and uh, some blood pressure medicines forced them to lose intrinsic potassium. What I think is a greater issue is not enough magnesium in our diets. And I see this almost without exception. Most of my patients are magnesium deficient. And this can show up in many ways. They can have restless limbs. They can have trouble sleeping. They have trouble relaxing. Sometimes they get constipated. And a lot of that has to do with the way that farming has changed. I'm sure you could probably elaborate on this as well. You know, our farming practices, even organic farming, the the soils are much more depleted than they were even 50 plus years ago. Stress, you know, stress, we can lose electrolytes with stress. Uh, It can put a, a strain on our adrenal glands, which are our kind of emergency backup system. But in our you know, our pandemic situation, I think most, if not all of us have had more stress in the last year than we might normally. What are your thoughts on magnesium supplementation? Is that something that you yourself are a proponent of? I know, obviously we're talking about different electrolytes for those that are listening, sodium, potassium, magnesium, all very critically important for us to utilize, but what are your thoughts on magnesium? I would just echo what you said. I think it's extremely important. If we look back historically, our ancient ancestors ate foods that were much higher in magnesium than we do today. And so there was a great article in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that showed that you can have, you could fall into the highest blood pressure group or the lowest blood pressure group, regardless of your sodium, if you were eating adequate amounts of calcium and magnesium and potassium. And so rather than focusing on lowering the salt, which we've discussed we need. And in the hospital, you really can't overdose on a bag of saline solution. I mean, you might need a catheter because they're pumping a lot of fluid through you, but you really can't overdose. And in nature, animals don't overdose on sodium. Mm -hmm. If you watch cows, you can put a salt lick out there and cows will eat the salt lick and they'll drink water and they will balance their own sodium levels. I think us humans in our society we've kind of forgotten to listen to our body's natural mm-hmm. cravings. We know when we get thirsty, we should drink water. And most of us are probably walking around dehydrated because either you know we enjoy a cup of coffee and not realize how dehydrating that can mm-hmm. be. And we just don't drink enough anyway. And so equally so, I think we've lost the ability or we've kind of fallen out of tune with our craving for salt. And sometimes we associate that with, man, I'm craving potato chips or I'm craving French fries or I'm craving sugar. When in reality, we're just craving water and salt. And I think, you know, headaches is a great example. You know, oftentimes, and you probably speak to this, but oftentimes the first sign of a headache doesn't mean you have an ibuprofen deficiency. You know, you probably, mm-hmm. that first sign of a headache, if you put a quarter teaspoon of salt under your tongue in a big glass of water, or even a suck on a salt crystal in a big glass of water, or even just start with a glass of water, oftentimes we're dehydrated, mm-hmm. which really shows up in the brain really quickly. And we're not necessarily low on ibuprofen. Right. And I think that's a good distinction that we've become largely disconnected from our bodies. I think we've been numbed out on, you know, highly processed foods, obviously the proliferation of social media and electronics, you know, a lot of people numb out on, you know, they're just on electronics all day long. They are numbed out with highly processed foods, you know, either because they're trying to stimulate neurotransmitters that make them feel good. You know, we think about serotonin and, you know, a lot of people are just dealing with in, well, none of us have lived through a pandemic before. So I always look at it as I want to give everyone the benefit of 
understanding that we're living in unprecedented times, but a lot of our lifestyle choices really force us not to feel. We don't want to feel. So one of the ways that we don't feel is we get disconnected or we you know, don't acknowledge how our own bodies are feeling. And I know when I was practicing as a nurse practitioner, you know, headaches were so common, especially in wintertime because the heat's on, it can be very dehydrating. You know, I'm on the East coast. We have four seasons, you know, we don't have the benefit of having super warm weather year round, although it's becoming more and more of interest to me to be in an area where I don't get snow, you know, for a couple months out of the year. Having said that, you know, when we kind of reflect back on the fact that, you know, we're really looking at these unprecedented times and people that are, you know, feeling like on so many levels that they are trying so very, very hard not to feel anything. So I think it's critically important that we're connected to, you know, how we respond to hydration, which can manifest in, you know, cramping, it can manifest in poor sleep, it can manifest in just being sleepy or dizzy, and how easily that can be remedied by proper hydration, some electrolytes, and how that can have such a profound impact on you know, even cognition, you know, the fact that people talk about mental clarity and, you know, one of the things that patients would oftentimes complain about, well, I don't want to be hydrated because I have to run back and forth to the bathroom. And this is a great intro again, touching on salt that adding in some electrolytes to your water will allow you to hold on to some of it. So you're not feeling like you're constantly running to the bathroom to empty your bladder. I don't know if you, you know, when you're journeys, you know, talking about salt, if you find that some people are oftentimes surprised just by adding a little bit of, you know, electrolytes to their water can make a huge difference in how they feel. In how they feel and how they sleep and all kinds of water and salt is the essence of life. Mm. Outside of oxygen, those are probably the next two most important things that we need to, to manage in our bodies. And maybe this is a good segue into, you know, intermittent fasting and fasting in general, because, you know, our bodies, we humans have not always had this instant access to abundant calories at the drop of a hat. And, you know, if you watch, you know, cows, they're rumen animals and they eat all day long. Humans don't have that same system. And so there's not really this need for humans to be eating. And humans never really have just grazed from morning until night. But yet over the last, you know, I know which story when it started, but at least the last hundred years, mm -hmm. we, we've had this instant access to abundant, low nutrient, high calorie mm -hmm. foods that we just eat all day long. And so, and then people are wondering why their insulin levels are out of whack and why their thyroid has got problems. And I don't think, and you're more qualified to talk to this degree than I am, but I don't think humans ever have been supposed to eat nonstop from morning until night for decades. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to agree with you. I think the average statistic I read most recently was the average American consumes sugar sweetened beverages or some type of food like substance 16 to 17 times a day. And, you know, when I'm talking or teaching about intermittent fasting, I just remind people that, you know, up until fairly recently, you know, last 50, hundred years, food scarcity was a big issue. And so people didn't always know where their next meal was going to come from, you know, food scarcity or lack of consistent access to food was the way that our bodies functioned. And so if we didn't have the ability to use fat as a fuel source, you know, digging into fat stores, we would not have survived as a society. And much to the point that you're making this meal frequency or this food frequency, you know, it impacts our bodies at a metabolic level and at a hormonal level that is, you know, 
forcing us to deal with unprecedented degrees of obesity and metabolic disease. You know, there's nothing more sad than when I reflect back on my own childhood. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and there was the rare obese child. And nowadays that is becoming the norm. And if children are struggling with, you know, metabolic disease, it does not fare well for you know, future generations, but even on the level of, you know, working with patients, you know, I was starting to see younger and younger people dealing with diabetes and vascular disease and high blood pressure and autoimmune problems. And so on so many levels, this meal frequency problem that is driving a lot of these issues is something that we need to be talking about in greater detail. What I found interesting was the other day on social media, someone tagged me in a post on Instagram, shaming me, telling me that I was advocating that people have eating disorders. And I thought to myself, that's really sad that a lot of, you know, well-meaning healthcare providers have a tremendous misunderstanding of what intermittent fasting is, because we know fasting is not new or novel, although right now it is really very popular in terms of a concept. And I think so much of that has to do with the fact that people are tired about, uh, tired of gimmicks. You know, they don't want another pill or powder that is going to quote unquote, get them the results they want. They actually want a sustainable strategy. And that's certainly one that, you know, people, if they're, if it's appropriate for them can really be a strategy they can use throughout their lifetime. And I think it's a good distinction between intermittent fasting and just starving or dieting, mm-hmm. because it is a very different approach. And I think one is much more sustainable and it's a lifestyle, not mm-hmm. a, a gimmick or a fad. But one of the really nice things coming back to salt is that salt is actually a appetite suppressant like coffee is, you know, the coffee, the black coffee in the morning with a little bit of salt in it. Not only does it give you the energy boost, but it's actually an, an appetite suppressant. And so there are times I'll be sitting at my desk at work or working. And if I'm feeling I'm a little bit hungry, again, just a piece of salt and a big glass of water. And I'm not craving sugar. I'm not craving food. I'm not craving potato chips. I'm just a little bit low on salt because, mm-hmm. you know, if you've ever tasted your tears, our tears are salty. If we taste our sweat, our sweat is salty. If we taste our urine, which I don't recommend, but your <laughs> urine is salty. And so anytime we're losing fluid, perspiration, respiration, urination, we are losing water and we're losing salt. And so mm-hmm. if we're just replacing the water, then we're going to start feeling hungry or we're going to start feeling a craving for potato chips or French fries or even sugar. But what the body's really saying is, hey, you've just lost water. You've just lost salt. Mm -hmm. Those are two things that I cannot create. I don't store those. I store fat. I store some carbs. We can talk about glycogen storage Mm -hmm. and and how that impacts with salt, but we don't, our bodies don't hang on to water and salt like it does those other essential nutrients. So we have to replace those all of the time because we're always perspiring. we're, Mm -hmm. We're crying, we're sweating, we're urinating, and we have to get that water and salt back. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data 
and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. It's a really good point because I know when people are new to fasting and I talk to them about how critically important electrolytes and salt in particular really are, I remind them that can be the differentiator between easily kind of dipping their toe in the pond, if you will, of intermittent fasting versus developing what is oftentimes referred to as keto flu. And keto flu is almost always a reflection of the need for electrolytes. So for people that are coming from 200 to 300 grams of carbs a day, and one of the strategies I always recommend is that people lower their carbohydrate intake so that we can get to fat burning a little bit faster And if someone goes from 300 grams of carbs to 100, that may be a massive jolt to their bodies. And one of the things that happens is as our body is tapping into these glycogen stored sugars that are stored in skeletal muscle and liver, as those are being released, it'll pull water. That's So it pulls water and it also pulls sodium and salt. And so 
this is one of those important contexts that I try to make sure is very, very clear. This is why electrolytes are so important. And this is why it's important to salt your food. And this is why it's important when you break your fast, add some salt to your food, because that can be the differentiator for people having success with intermittent fasting and people that hit a wall and are miserable. You know, they've got headaches and they might be nauseous and, you know, they're achy and they don't sleep and they hate me because this all happens, but yet they didn't listen to that little piece that I have to remind them about. And one of the things that I think is so critically important about electrolyte replacement when you're fasting is the fact that it makes everything better. You're going to have less cravings as you touched on. Your sleep is going to be better. You'll be more relaxed. I know for myself that I drink electrolytes all throughout the day in addition to salting my food. And I know when I'm on target for that, I sleep better. Like I mentioned, I don't have a headache. You know, this is the time of the year with the heat being on, people get much more easily dehydrated. And I would, I'd be curious, you know, within your own kind of daily practice, are you fasting on occasion or is that something that you do every day? So I typically, I'm one of those one meal a day kind of guys. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning and I do sometimes add cream or fat to that. Mm -hmm. But then I just find that on most days I'm not really hungry or I forget that I'm just so busy. I forget Mm -hmm. to eat until about five or six. And so I'll kind of have two or three meals between five o'clock and about eight o'clock at night. My wife will see me eating and she'll laugh and she says, is this maybe six o'clock? And she'll say, is this breakfast or lunch? Um, <laughs> and so I just find that my body likes that. And I, it's not because I'm trying to diet. I'm, I just feel better when I do that. And you mentioned the keto flu. A lot of those symptoms of keto flu, the headache, the nauseous, can't sleep. Those are all signs of dehydration. Mm-hmm. And so in that first 24 hours of fasting, when we're we're losing the glycogen from the liver mm-hmm. and some of those fat stores. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that there's about two to three grams of water that are attached to each gram of glycogen. Mm-hmm. And so as we're flushing that glycogen stores, we're flushing that water, which the water again is all attached to salt. Mm-hmm. And so by replacing and really, you know, going out of a way to get salt and water in that keto flu phase, most people find that it makes a huge difference in how they feel and how they sleep and and then they won't be quite as upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's amazing to me, every time I teach a masterclass, one of the comments that there are always a couple people who listen to what I'm saying, but they don't really take action. And then they'll say after the fact, oh my gosh, I don't know why I waited a couple of days to start adding in salt and you know electrolytes. And now I feel like a completely different person for sure. So let's talk a little bit about you know, when you're purchasing salt, you know, obviously Redmond's you can purchase online, but if people are looking for local purveyors of salt, or if they want to buy something locally, what are some of the things they should be looking for so that they are getting a high quality product? I love that question. And I think we ought to ask the same question if we're buying salt or kale or strip steak, whatever it is that we're eating, I think Mm -hmm. we ought to ask ourselves the same questions. And so the first question I suggest people ask when looking for a high quality salt is know the source. Today, that's getting a lot more difficult because our food oftentimes transfers many hands and many countries and, Mm -hmm. and many food miles before it actually hits the shaker or the grocery store or the internet retailer or whatever. So I think if we can ask, find out the source. So if there's a brand you like, you want to look into whether it's at the farmer's market or at the grocery store or you're buying online, find the source. Where is it coming from? In salt, it could be coming from a current ocean, an ancient seabed or a dead sea. And I think knowing that source will help us 
pick a salt or any food that's right for us. Know who's producing it first and then the source. Because if you know who's producing it, then you can ask you know, the questions. Then the third one is what are they doing to it? Are they putting anything in? Are they taking anything out? Are they processing or treating it in any way? And if you can know who's producing it, you can know the source and you know the process. Those three questions, I think you'll find great salt, you'll find great kale, you'll find great steak, you'll find great eggs, you'll find great fish, whatever it is that you're consuming. I think those are three really good questions. And if you end up with real salt from Redmond, that's great. I think it is a great product. If you end up with a great quality salt from Bolivia, hey, that's great too. And I think if you ask those three questions, knowing the source, knowing who's producing it and what are they doing to it, you'll end up eating and feeling a whole lot better. That's incredibly valuable. And I know that everyone will find that to be very, very helpful. Now, just to drive this point home one more time, let's talk about the differences between the processed salt that is in the processed foods that are sitting in a box, a bag or a can, how that is chemically not the same. It is very, very different. And and I always use the example of you know, if you go out to eat and maybe you're with family and it's not during COVID and you can have a big gathering, <laughs> if something is catered from a place where you don't have the ability to find out where was the meat purveyed from, where did this come from? And you get this massive salt load. And we're not talking about the good salt. We're talking about the processed salt. How is that chemically very different than the salt that you're talking about? You know, these real salt sources that actually come from the earth and that you don't have to do a lot to them to make them edible. So there's great question. And so to kind of summarize, there's two factors. The first one is the demineralization that a lot of salts will go through. And so that's this series of evaporation ponds that eliminate or draw out the calcium, potassium, magnesium, and then they sell those off to other companies. But very similar, you know, we know that oranges are rich in vitamin C and ascorbic acid is a good part of the vitamin C complex, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So vitamin C in nature is not just pure ascorbic acid. And so we could take an orange and we could suck out the beta carotene and then we could sell the orange that's left. But that's not the same as the orange with the natural vitamin C complex in nature. And salt is the same way. Salt in its natural form has trace amounts of these other electrolytes. And if you do it either in the salt crystal that you know was laid down eons ago, or like the Hawaiian or the Celtic salt that's processed in one single batch, you get all of those minerals and electrolytes that occur in the seawater versus a company that's eliminated those other elements. So that's the first difference. And then the second difference is the anti-caking agents. If, if you look at your salt label and there's things like yellow prussiate of soda, calcium sodium ferrocyanide, dextrose, things like that on the label, you know that you probably ought to use that for a craft project or maybe salting <laughs> your sidewalk, but I probably wouldn't eat it. Well, and especially if it says dextrose, because dextrose is sugar. It's like, I can't think of two things that don't belong together more you know, thinking about dextrose, which is processed sugar along with a processed salt. So what's next for you? What is Redmond's doing that's new and novel? I mean, I love all of your products and I hope that the listeners will check them out and certainly look into some of the tips that you provided for sourcing high quality salts and salt products. What's next? 
So I occasionally give you know lectures. I'll talk to you know parent groups about the importance of salt, or talk to school groups. And one of the things I've said for years, and you touched on this very first in the conversation, is when you, we need electrolytes. Unfortunately, a lot of people think of the blue or the hot pink or the purple sports drink. Unfortunately, you know there's in you know the Florida Gators, the football team, they were struggling with electrolytes. And if you struggle with electrolytes, your team gets cramps, they pass out, they get nauseous, all of the things we talked about earlier. And so I said, hey, we need a drink that we can drink during the game that replaces electrolytes. And so they created a drink to aid the Florida Gators. And so they called it Gator Aid. And just the electrolytes and just water is a great place. But unfortunately, you know, to market to us, you know, consumers, they put a bunch of food coloring in, they Mm -hmm. put a bunch of sugars in, and it changes the whole game. And so what I tell parents or, you know, soccer moms or when I go biking, I say get a quart of good clean water. Maybe that's spring water, maybe that's filtered, you know, the good, just a quart of good clean water. Add a quarter teaspoon of natural salt. Of course, I use real salt to that. Mm-hmm. And then a squeeze of lemon and a little bit of honey for some, some sweetness and from some energy. And you can make that for pennies on the dollar um, mm-hmm. compared to the processed sports drinks. And you're not getting the artificial colors, the artificial sugars, the artificial sweeteners and all the other kind of garbage that's in there. And it's a great sports drink. And so, you know, I use it mountain biking. I've used it for my kids in lacrosse and soccer. And, and I've just, it's been great. You know, we are busy people though. And so sometimes making that up isn't convenient. And so we have actually, one of our kind of our new products, we have a product called Relight, as in re-electrolyte. And we take our salt because people don't get enough magnesium, potassium, we actually add a little bit of magnesium. We add a little bit of potassium. Then we put some stevia, so it's mm-hmm. um, you're not going to you know impact somebody that's fasting, and then a little bit of uh, flavor. And so this is a berry flavored electrolyte. It comes in a jar or a stick pack that you can mm-hmm. take with you when you're mountain biking or you're on the road or you're roofing. You know, one of the things that we think of electrolytes, we just think of athletes. We don't think about the time when we're in our garden or maybe we're skiing for the day or we're a roofer and we're out in the sun or we're a firefighter. My, my sister used to fight forest fires with the Forest Service and they would go through all kinds of salt because mm-hmm. you're in your heavy, you know, protective gear, you're packing a chainsaw and a shovel and you're just losing all of these electrolytes. And so it's just a fun, easy, flavorful way. And we've got several flavors and we've got an unflavored you can put in your coffee, but that's kind of something that's new and people are kind of talking about. And we've got a few of these. We're actually making kind of an immunity version coming out soon. And so it's got the same electrolyte base. And then we added some, some vitamin C and, you know, some other herbs that are, you know, elderberry and ginseng that are, are good for the immune system. So those are some of the fun things coming down the pipe. Well, it's exciting. And I have to tell you, my 13 year old, my little food aficionado loves the pina colada variety. I think I'm, I lean heavily towards the berry, you know, for when I'm in my feeding window, but I love that, you know, you're able to provide a service, a much needed service. You know, I love supporting, you know, small businesses and certainly small businesses here in the United States in particular. And for somebody who's exercising and and working out, we'd say like a scoop to like Mm -hmm. 16 to 20 ounces of water. And I think that's about the right ratio for a mountain bike or an athlete, but even taking just one scoop and adding it to like 72 ounces of water gives a very mild, very light flavor that you can just sip on throughout the day. It doesn't mess with, you know, the carbs and it's not the sugars that we have a problem with, but it does give you a nice clean electrolyte drink to replace because every second of the day we are processing water and we're processing salt. So we need to be more conscious of 
of replacing those by salting our food liberally, adding some salt to our water, and then listening to our bodies talk. And yeah, there's probably some people extremely much more rare than we know that are salt sensitive. And if they're on dialysis, then ignore everything I've said today. But for most of the population that is eating healthy foods, going out of their way to eat non-processed foods, they also have to go out of their way to add good, clean salt and good, clean water to their diet. Absolutely. So how can we connect with you on social media? What's the easiest way to connect with you? So we're on Facebook, Redmond Real Salt. We're on Instagram. And if you go to realsalt.com, that just has kind of the salt products. And then if you were interested in maybe the Relight or we've actually got some uh, cosmetic products, facials, a few things like that or, that are clay-based products, our main website is redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N-D, dot life. Not dot com, but dot life. So redmond.life. And we'd love to hear from anybody. Well, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you so much for your time. Cynthia, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. 